Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house dishes were piling up and food was thrown about. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care and hope that sweet treats soon would be there. Everyone was all nestled and snug in their beds while visions of crisp bacon danced in their heads. And Mama in her apron and I in my chef's cap had just settled our brains for a short cat nap. When out of the kitchen there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the stairs I flew like a chicken and heard more noise and said, What the dickens? When what to my wondering eyes should appear a jolly old man and eight tiny reindeer. I knew in the moment it must be St. Nick and all I could think of is, my, they clean quick. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his bum, and his clothes were coated in lots of cookie crumbs. His eyes, how they twinkled like a glass of bubbly, and a broad face with a belly that was a little chubby. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. With just one look, it was hard not to be merry. They spoke not a word, but they went straight to work, and filled all the stockings, I felt bad to lurk. He whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen. We've cleaned the dishes, kitchen and hall. Now dash away, dash away, dash away all. With a bundle of trash bags he had flung on his back, he looked like a peddler just with trash in his sack and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. They sprang to the sleigh and to his team gave a signal and away they all flew with a smile and a jingle. With a belly full of cookies, they drove out of sight, exclaiming Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. We want to connect with you. Follow Cuisine at Home on Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for recipe inspiration, cooking tips and techniques, behind-the-scenes action, and cooking videos. You can also subscribe to our free newsletter at cuisineathome.com newsletter. We're going to start this episode with a segment we're calling Table Talk. This is a place where the staff gets together and talks about whatever they feel like talking about. And since it's Christmas Eve, we're here talking about our traditions and our memories. And one memory I have is that uh, my mother, every Christmas Eve, started baking cookies in September. She would uh, put them into containers, label them, and uh, this just went on um, all fall, all season long. We had a babysitter who uh, decided to get into those cookies, and we were told that we could not. My mother accused my brother and sister and I of getting into the cookies, and we kept telling her, no, no, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. She finally discovered it was the babysitter. So, um, yeah, the babysitter got reprimanded, uh, to say the least. But anyway... Uh, those Christmas Eves that she put together were wonderful. She went all out. The house was dressed to the nines, and I'll never forget it. Hi, I'm Teresa, and I am responsible for uh, laying out the magazine here at Cuisine. And I come from an Italian family, and everybody knows what that means. 
homemade pasta on Christmas Day. So every year before, the week before Christmas, Grandma would gather all the aunts and cousins together and start the process to make tortellini. Uh, with a large family to feed, my dad was the middle of nine children, uh, there was a lot of tortellini that needed to be made. And Grandma had duties to assign. She would make the pasta dough. Uh, one aunt was responsible for rolling the pasta, another for cutting the rounds, and another for making the filling. It was usually a three-cheese filling with Parmesan, ricotta, and Asiago. Uh, so imagine Christmas music playing in the background, usually Dean Martin or Mel Torme, but you couldn't really hear it because of all the chatter in the kitchen and all the stories that were being told and probably a lot of gossip too. Um, but all of us cousins would sit around Grandma's kitchen table and we'd all have our little stations. We'd all have a cutting board, a bowl for water, a bowl for filling, and then the pasta rounds. And then in the middle of the table, there were baking sheets set up, uh, dusted with cornmeal, so we could put our little tortellini rounds into the baking sheets. So um, we learned as little kids how to fold and stuff the tortellini, and we would start filling the baking sheets with our little creations. And then one of the ants would come around and supervise the table, filling up your water and putting more filling in your bowl and replacing your pasta rounds. And we'd just keep doing it until we got enough to feed that big family. But I remember even at that time, even when I was a little kid, that I felt really special, like I was part of something and I was part of this big family. And that's one of the memories I'll just carry with me forever. Hi, I'm Pam. I am an editor here at Cuisine at Home, which means I develop recipes and I write articles to try to teach people and inspire people about cooking. Um, and um, Christmas is near and dear to my heart. My mom loved that holiday. Um, and um, for me, shortbread cookies really are synonymous with uh, Christmas. My Italian grandmother made them every year, and my Nana from Canada made them every year. And um, my grandfather was English, and they're such an English tradition. And then they became a tradition of my mom's and a tradition of mine. And so every year, we would get out the sugar, the butter, <laughs> and the flour, and we would just make very simple, probably a little vanilla, and make a very simple shortbread cookie. And we would just put it, pat it out in a baking sheet, and um, it was not Christmas without them. But I always remember putting a big cookie tray out with those top of the heap for my grandfather, Guppa Bill, we called him. He came for um, Christmas every year from Canada. And I know he squirreled them away and <laughs> devoured them and loved them because he loved cookies and he especially loved shortbreads. So for me, shortbread cookies are just mean Christmas. And um, when we were doing an article here at the magazine on our some of our favorite holiday traditions and favorite holiday cookies, I had to do shortbread cookies. And so I zhuzhed it up a little um, with some orange and some sparkly sugar and some rosemary and loved them. But um, so for me, like I said, I love shortbreads and it just means Christmas. Hi, I'm Robin. I work in the test kitchen here at Cuisine at Home, and I develop recipes, test recipes, and do food styling. So you have heard um, favorite food Christmas stories from 
Teresa and Pam. And I could tell you those. We have a couple in our family that you have to have every year, which would be shrimp pizza, which isn't really pizza, and layered jello. Both of those are kind of trashy. So I'm not going to tell you about that. I'm going to give you a different uh, Christmas memory in our house, and it's about Christmas trees. And when my kids were growing up, their job was always to decorate the Christmas tree. I got to choose the tree, and they got to decorate it. Well, one year I decided that we needed um, a cedar tree, which is kind of a Charlie Brown cedar tree, but we lived in this old Victorian house that was under constant construction, and I thought it would be the perfect tree. So my husband was going out deer hunting, and I said, hey, when you come back, I want you to bring a tree with you from the woods, and I want it to be a cedar tree, and I was pretty specific, and he kind of said, well, uh, are you sure? And I said, yes, that's what I want, and so he's like, okay. And when he was ready to come home from hunting, he cut a tree down and he was bringing it home and one of the older guys looked at him and said what what are you doing and he said I got to bring this tree home so the older guy Dale he pulls out his billfold and he's known as forever and he says pulls a 20 out of his billfold and he says bud here stop by the you know the tree store and buy a decent tree for your wife and my husband just kind of laughed and he said no you know Robin she's got to have what she wants you know and she wants this cedar tree so he brought home the cedar tree, and it was exactly what I want, and I put it in the living room, and again, this was an old Victorian house, so I did kind of work in there, and I was as happy as a clam, and apparently I was the only one that was happy because the kids came in, and I said, look, we got the tree. I got the ornaments out. It's all ready to go, and boy, those kids looked at that tree, and they looked at me like, are you kidding? This is what we have for this year, and I was so thrilled. I'm like, yeah, go for it. So they um, said, we have to, and I said, yes, you do. So have fun, and I went on into the kitchen, and it wasn't very long when they said, okay, we're done, and I thought, you can't be done. You just began, but I went in, and I looked at that tree, and I looked at the kids, and they said, yeah, we're done. And what they had done, they had gotten all the ornaments on the tree, but they put all the ornaments on one branch uh, because they weren't very happy with me, and they thought they were going to pull a funny on Mama, and it it kind of fit that poor sad tree. All of the ornaments on one branch and we just loved it anyway. And it has become um, family lore and we talk about it about every Christmas. Hey, remember the Christmas when we had that Charlie Brown tree? And that's one of my favorite memories from Christmas past. Hi, my name is Haley. I'm an editor here at Cuisine at Home Magazine. I develop recipes and I write the corresponding stories and anything else that they'd like me to do. So my Christmas memory is kind of brings me back to my mom. She would make this coffee cake of sorts every Christmas. Now it was made in advance, but uh, we would always have it Christmas morning. Now it's not a coffee cake in the traditional sense uh, where it's not an actual cake, but it's made from a sweet yeasted dough and it's filled with candied fruits braided like a strudel and then it's shaped into a candy cane and then once it's baked it's drizzled with a powdered sugar glaze and everyone loved it the the funny part was that i i never loved it i'm not a fan of candied fruits but it smelled great when it was baking and everyone else seemed to love it and that's really you know all i cared about everyone was having a good time Welcome to Top Shelf. This is where we'll be talking about, you guessed it, drinks. 
I'm Maddie, an editor here at Cuisine, and I have a special guest, and, you know, he used to be my boss. <laughs> so I get to talk with him all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm John. I'm the Test Kitchen uh, Manager, Director of Cuisine at Home, and uh, my primary job there is uh, food styling and getting groceries, because I've got a lot of adults working for me, and they can self-manage, so... <laughs> But most importantly, you're getting good ingredients for, you know, top shelf. Always. Our drinks. uh, This segment is top shelf, and so we're going to discuss coming up uh, on the holidays here, Christmas Eve, New Year's, uh, what everybody drinks in those points of time, and that's champagne or sparkling wine. The bubbles will be flowing. Constantly, yes. And, you know, one of those big towers bubbling down. Uh, Such a statement. You know, I always wondered, like, what would happen if some, like, if I actually tried that? I'd, I know for a fact at least one glass would fall, and then the whole tower would fall. I'd, I'd grab the wrong glass. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, people, I got my glass. You're all fighting for the rest. You figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess I'm the host of this segment or guest of this segment, whatever. You did and, your uh, research, and you know your stuff. Well, I, I also am one of the older people here, so I've had a lot more experience than some of these other people on staff. You're knowledgeable. When it comes to uh, all things alcohol. And in this case, I was probably primed as a young boy uh, at a holiday, probably Thanksgiving, Christmas, one of those, with uh, at the kids' table, we'd be served Catawba wine, which is a grape that came out of New York, and it was always non-alcoholic, but it gave us gave you that fizz. So, like grape juice, like you know, the, now the Welches spark- have like a sparkling grape juice. Sparkling grape juice, okay. yeah, exactly. My kids won't drink it because they say it's spicy. They mm-hmm. don't like the bubbles. Yeah, it's funny because that's what my daughter. <laughs> she didn't have a word for bubbling, and so I think she did. Spicy, use it's spicy always too. spicy. That's funny that they did that. Um, but then moving along, you know, some of my superior experiences with uh, sparklers tend to be, well, I, I think it's usually an all-occasion kind of thing. So in the mid and uh, late 80s, it was all the rage to drive around and go from club to club in limousines. And then, of course, you would have, you know, the, the champagne in the limousine for transport in between clubs. And that's my first experience with Dom Perignon. And... <laughs> Not my last, but it's certainly my introduction to uh, the high-quality wines in the world, the top shelf. Uh, well, you've already outnumbered me. I've never had it. So <laughs> once is... And I'm going to say that I've had Cristal, but I couldn't pinpoint where or when that was. But it okay. seems to me I've So not enough to, you know, make you want to buy it again? Uh, not at that <laughs> price point. I'm, I'm much better off uh, doing what I usually do, and that's looking for moderately priced wines. Middle shelf? Yeah. <laughs> Moet, Chandon, the White Star, Red Star, that kind of thing. Um, we've uh, moved on from there. You know, the next really stellar experience that I had with uh, champagne was, or sparkling wine, was on my first anniversary with my wife. I took her back to Poughkeepsie, where Culinary Institute was. And we both worked at this hotel, so we got a deal on the top floor of the the hotel with a spectacular view of the Hudson. And we were only there probably minutes. We ordered champagne and bacon cheeseburgers. Oh, man. And it was so good. It was just an eye-opener. You know, you kind of think they're, you know, oh, this is high class and that's lowbrow. 
but it was actually one of the best food pairings that I've ever done because it, the champagne cut through all that grease would clean the palate, and then you'd be ready for another excellent bite. Oh, <laughs> how can you even say no to a bacon cheeseburger? But knowing that it pairs well with champagne, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. Any way to eat another burger <laughs> <laughs> and drink champagne, I guess. So <laughs> Then, uh, you know, after that, I think my next really big uh, experience was with... Uh, Oh, right after, you know, probably within that next year, uh, I went out to San Francisco, Napa, and Sonoma to do job search, which is, of course, why I ended up back in Minneapolis. But uh, at the time, we stayed at the Union Square Hotel, and because we had some goofy Amico coupon, we ended up in the penthouse suite, which actually, which actually, yeah, had uh, we had rooftop access. We could overlook the whole city. Everyone uh, was looking at you like, "What? Who celebrity is that?" What actually, they do? it wasn't wasn't a very tall hotel, <laughs> so we were looking up mostly. But uh, anyhow, that was so exciting that we ordered champagne right away, and I think they only had the one, and it was uh, Robert Hunter Brut de Noir. Okay. And that's a, a wine, that's a champagne that's made with uh, held in the lees a little longer, so that it takes a little color. And you said noir, so that like Pinot Noir? Yeah, and that's actually one of the main grapes for champagne okay. is Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier. There we go. Good job. Jeez, <laughs> I couldn't do that. <laughs> uh, and uh, frequently with uh, Chardonnay is the other thing to balance it out. Uh, anyhow, this Robert Hunter was spectacular, so much so that we bought it again. Now, being in San Francisco, of course, I made the automatic assumption you know, because I'm a deadhead, too, uh, that it was uh, Robert Hunter, the dead lyricist, actually, the late dead lyricist. (laughs) May he rest his soul. I I thought he had uh, started a vineyard with all his incredible wealth, but it turns out it was an investment banker named Robert Hunter. And uh, he's very meticulous in his wines and his champagnes, and you won't generally see that label outside of San Francisco, Napa, or Sonoma. It just it gets swooped up. Collectors take it, and so we were really lucky. You know, there we are. You know, just willy nilly, not knowing what we're getting into. Right, and knowing it's never going to be making its way to Iowa. Right. Sadly, I've had a lot of wine experiences like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the good ones can't make it. But the good ones, like this other, my one of my final uh, eye openers was on a junket tan arbor and we were at a restaurant that featured champagnes and sparkling wines and they served one that was it's from new mexico it's called gruet and you'll see it when you look it up it gets high scores all the time and what's more it's really reasonably priced and so you're getting this super super value on a sparkling wine uh, i i don't know why they're not more popular because it's sure. really such a good value and such a good flavor of wine. And I know you've said champagne and sparkling wine. What's the difference? Well, champagne is generally only from champagne. There's a couple of laws that you can squeak by using the word champagne in the U.S., but generally champagne has to be of the appellation of Champagne province okay. in France. Yeah. Where the wine, fine. where the grapes can suffer, it's got flinty soil and poor weather. Uh, but we love it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It turns out that's perfect for uh, growing grapes for champagne. Uh, and I think the other thing I asked about at that thing was uh, champagne called Bollinger. 
Now, the name sounds English. Right. And it is apparently a favorite of the royal family. But where I learned it, uh, about Bollinger is that all the secret agents drink, drink it. Drink that. Now, James Bond started <laughs> out with Tattinger and Dr. No, moved on to Dom in the later movies, and then he moved on from Dom to uh, Bollinger, like I was saying. And uh, Jack Higgins, his main character, Sean Dillon, he drinks Bollinger by the gallon. He's probably spilled more than anybody's ever drank. But. <laughs> so now Bollinger, you're saying. Is or as that... we call it in England, Bolly. Oh, once again, I can't say that. <laughs> is that a moderate price or no, is it no, that's higher than Dom? A, no, they're all in the same premium okay. range there. Yeah, I actually, I think that was just a sip probably there. And that may have been where I had the crystal. I don't that's think. right. They said, we can't give you a whole glass. You're just going to try a sample. And then, yeah, speaking of glasses, it's always good to serve it in the best. What you need to do if you're, if you're a wine snob or if you're really nostalgic, you're going to want to serve it in a coupe glass, which is the, the one you always see in the 30s and 40s uh, movies. They're always sipping champagne from that. And it was designed um, for champagne. And the legend is, is that it was supposedly designed on uh, Marie Antoinette's uh, left breast <laughs> uh, as a model. Thank you, Marie Antoinette. <laughs> now, it's a lovely, lovely legend. And uh, I don't know why the left over the right, but it was uh, the fact no, of the matter. Was it true? No. Oh. It, it was actually Darn. invented, I think, in England in 1663 is when I read. And then... Uh, it, the other glass that people drink champagne from is the flute. Now the differences between the two are the coupe, you're going to have the bubbles dissipate quickly and you're going to get a real true sense and nose of the champagne and what the grapes taste like. And with a, a flute, you'll get all those spectacular bubbles and with a narrow opening on the top, you still get, uh, you get the more essence of what a champagne is. Okay. I don't think and it's I've always good to drop, you know, raspberries into and and the classic strawberries. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I have ever had champagne out of a coupe. Is it glass as well? Oh yeah, yeah. Still glass. I think generally all you ever see are the, the toast that you get in exactly. the little plastic glass at some point. <laughs> the wedding. ones that you don't know if they're going to like stay on the table <laughs> or fall over, so you better drink it quick. Well, and that's the other thing. The coupe is really easy to carry around. The champagne, the flute is well, might have to heat up necessarily the wine sure because you're not drinking it fast enough i think <laughs> i think that's my problem i've never been big i like champagne i'll drink champagne but i would never spend a lot of money on champagne no because it's like you can't just leave have one glass it's like the whole bottle you you and your friend or husband you're sitting there drinking you can't put the cork back in no. So it's like you can't really spend too much money because it just goes so quickly in our household, at least. <laughs> but at our household, it goes quickly all the time because my wife buys uh, Francis Ford Coppola's, from his vineyard, he uh, cans a champagne called, well, cans. he bottles it as well. It's a six-ounce can, and uh, it's really portable. It's it's actually designed to be more beer-like, so you can sure. drink casually. That is a Blanc de Blanc, so that's almost exclusively a Chardonnay grape. And they're really fun. You probably don't want to have this around your daughters because it oh. comes with a sippy straw. So it's like aseptic pa packaging? No, it's a can. It's a it can, really but, but it, it has, has a that straw. straw. Huh. So I hate Learned for them to grab new. that and pop that open. I, I don't know. Yeah, this is for mommy and daddy, not kiddos. Right. <laughs> 
And that's, you know, widely available now. I think Target carries it. So it's between 15 They're giving Miller a run for the money. Yeah, you know? that's really the idea. No champagne Well, there's beer. a lot of canned is... wines now, but not so many champagnes. So mm. that was really lovely. And then smart. ultimately throughout all my experiences with champagne, and I haven't even mentioned it yet, but my favorite champagne, and it's probably in that, it's not in the low range and it's not in the high range, but it's in the sweet spot of being good, and that's Veuve Clicquot. And uh, it's a really nicely balanced champagne. Uh, it goes well as an aperitif, and then it has that same quality of uh, being able to cut through fats and whatnot. So it's great with food as well. And burgers. And burgers, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's a couple of things. The flute is really spectacular. It's great to serve at brunch. And there are a couple of, you know, there's a lot of champagne cocktails available for brunch. And the first, of course, I think in everybody's mind is a mimosa. Mm -hmm. But then the other one that's just as simple and just as good and really elegant is a Kia Royale. What's that? And that's just dropping a tablespoon of, of Chambord or, well, usually Chambord, I think, or creme de cassis or creme de framboise in the bottom of a sham flute and you pour it over and then it just brings it all up and it's really gorgeous um, and it's you know it competes right along with blinis or mimosas so it's something else you can order that's not the same old set same aside old. the orange juice right <laughs> there's something better out there for my other favorite champagne cocktail i usually order and you'll see this at the top of most uh, champagne cocktail lists and it's a french 75 or just the 75 and it's variously made with gin or cognac, but the base is obviously uh, champagne, a little, sp uh, little simple syrup, and then whatever that booze is that you'd like. <laughs> booze and, of choice. <laughs> and the thing is, is that it really does, uh, it's one of the sneaky drinks, one of the sneaky cocktails, because it's got that higher alcohol in it. Uh, suddenly you find yourself uh, kicked in the butt. And sure, like a Long Island. <laughs> a little bit, actually. And... The name should give it away as a dead, dead clue right away, you should know, because it's named after an artillery piece that was the French used in World War I. I did not know that. A powerful, powerful uh, piece of cannon, you know. <laughs> and uh, so it, it's designed it's to kick knock and, you over. and knock you over. Yeah, that's what. So maybe if you're out and about, don't drink more than two. Right. Or you're right. calling an Uber. <laughs> there you go. Or walking. One of the two. Or you're in the limousine. That's right. <laughs> driving from bar to bar or hopping around. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it just proves that, you know, champagne can be drank on its, by itself in a cocktail or any way you please. It really is versatile. And uh, we've got other champagne cocktails in our... I think that's a favorite around here. Everyone loves champagne, so it's like, what new way can you come up with a drink of choice for that? Well, yeah, <laughs> and there's Prosecco, there's uh, Spumantes, there's Cava. So they're all different nationalities of sparkling wines, and they all have different uh, flavor profiles because of the grapes and what, where they grow. So. And that being said, we here have a segment every Friday, well, most Fridays. Like if there's a holiday, sometimes, you know, we're not here. We try to do our best, but we do a cocktail with cuisine every Friday, 3 p.m. Central Time, 
on Facebook, and now we're trying to stream it on Instagram as well. And that's a great way to get the newest cocktails or see what we're working on. And and it's it's fun because it's live. Yes, <laughs> very well scripted. <laughs> nothing, no mistakes ever happen. Nothing spontaneous ever happens. You could so. put a face to the name, <laughs> but you'll see us then. That's right. Thanks for tuning in. Now we're going to play Let's Make a Meal. This is the segment where we open up our fridges or our pantries and answer the age-old question, what's for dinner? Oh, boy. Oh. So I have Kim and Pam here, and what I did earlier was go down to our fridges and look through our pantry a little for uh, what ingredients really needed to be used up or what was looking the freshest, and I came up with a list for them, and they're going to tell me what I should make for dinner. So, ladies, I have spinach... Fresh, chickpeas, broth, some heavy cream, red curry paste, onions, pancetta, green beans, some citrus, coconut milk, some really nice cherry tomatoes, and of course pasta. What should I make? Whew. I don't know. This is this is gonna be fun, I think. Uh yeah, I mean anything goes. You could throw it all in a pot and see what happens. Yeah, but right. um the easy go to is probably pasta since um, you've got pasta, little broth, cream, um, pancetta, cherry tomatoes. I think all of that could be a pretty simple, easy one. But with that curry paste and coconut oh, milk. Oh, that's, that sounds good to me. That's what I think my angle would be. I'd want to start with some curry paste. Definitely. I'm with you. So if you want to, you know, if you want the, just the easy out, go for a pasta. I think you got that covered. But so how do you, how do you think we would approach it? Yeah, I, I would just uh, dice up onions. Totally. Uh, I think that's one of our ingredients we have. And I would just cook those onions in a pot with some oil, say either olive oil or some sort of neutral oil. Um, get those nice and caramelized, right? Totally. And if, hell, if you had, excuse me, if you had some ghee on hand, you'd even cook it in ghee. You could. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, and then I think I would start with like throwing in the green beans. Yeah. to sort of break those down. And then add a little broth mm -hmm. so that they have something to cook in. Yep. Yeah, and then let that simmer a little while. Yeah. Um, also, probably throw some of those cherry tomatoes in there. Let them break down? Yeah. 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 I think that would be really nice. Oh, there's also coconut milk, so we can add that at the end, oh, right? curry paste. I think oh, the, oh, we I want, would add that with the onions. I think the curry paste definitely would go with the onions. Yes, yes. yes cook that. Bloom that, get mm -hmm. that going, yep. and enrich and, and in that flavor. Yep. Um, and then the chickpeas, I don't know if they were dried or um, fresh or they were cooked. cooked. Okay. Um, yeah, you can just put those, put those in, at, in the at the end. Along with some spinach. spinach. Chop up some spinach and add that. Oh, that's delightful. Do you have, was it lime or any kind of citrus? Or? Lime. Lime. Perfect. That would be what I would, uh -huh. that would be my go-to. Yeah. I'd squeeze that over the top of my dish. Would you guys serve it over anything? Well, if there was any rice, I'd go for rice. Um... Or, you know, you could make a soupy. If there's extra broth, it could just be turned into mm -hmm. a, a like a Thai curry soup. Or if there's naan on hand or any mm, kind of bread, yeah. yum, yum. Yeah, that's what I would Perfect like. Perfect dipper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that sounds delicious. Thanks, guys. Sure. You guys can play along with this game, too. You can let us know what you have in your fridge on social media, or you can send us an email at cuisinesocial 
at aimmedia.com. And that will be linked in the show notes also. Thanks. Lastly, we're going to play some food trivia in a segment we call Cracked Up. I'm here with Haley and Pam, and I'm going to try to stump them with some food-related questions. They may or may not know the answers, and that's okay. We hope you'll play along with us. All right, ladies, you ready? We're Let's ready. Let's do it. All right, your first question. What movie features a magnificent feast centered around a tempano? Oh, I know this one. I know it too. I'll let you say it. Big Night, one of my favorite movies. Okay, tell us what a tempano is. Uh, it is a stuffed or kind of layered um, pasta dish with eggs in it, and um, I can't remember everything that was in it. Um, I just remember Stanley. Well, it was actually Tony Shalhoub, who was the character of the chef who played it, and this was um, a dish that was traditional in their hometown. He and his brothers, who was um, Primo and Secondo, their, their character names, and Stanley Tucci played the brother. But um, So it's a pasta dish. It's a baked pasta dish, and I just remember the hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number two, what is the name of the scale used to measure the heat or spice level in peppers? I got it. Scoville scale? All right. Yeah. Okay, this one's probably an easy one I'm throwing to you. Okay. What alcoholic beverage is made from fermented rice? Ooh, sake. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you guys have any good sake drinks you like? We've done a sake 75 here, and I can't remember all that was in it. Um, beyond sake. Uh, <laughs> but I do remember it being very tasty, despite the fact that I'm not a fan of sake myself. All right. Well, that's the sign of a good drink. If yes. someone that doesn't even like the alcohol will drink yep. it. <laughs> Two more. What type of bakery item is boiled before it is baked? Oh, ding, a, ding. <laughs> a bagel? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I know that one, too. <laughs> What's your favorite topping on a bagel? Everything. Oh, that's not topping. Excuse me. I guess that's... Do you mean the... When it's No, cut? like... No, everything. Yes, everything bagel. Everything is probably my favorite, too. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Name the two U.S. states that grow coffee beans. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. I don't know this, but... Okay. They're tropical. So, so somewhere warm. So... We, Hawaii. Yes. Kona beans, Hawaii, right? right? Um, hmm... Would it be California or Florida? Those Texas? would be my picks. One of those three, but uh, I don't know. What are your two? Hawaii for sure. Hawaii okay. for sure. And you said state, so it's not going to be Puerto Rico. I don't think it would be a cold weather state, right? I don't no. think so. Nope. Um, I let's go like with California. Okay. California is... Good job. You got it right. (laughs) And like you said, Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory. It's not a state, but they do grow coffee there. Ah, okay. You know, I wanted to give another shout out for the big night. One of the reasons I love that movie, it was filmed not far from where I grew up. That's one of the reasons why I remember that. So, yeah. I need to have a movie night here at Cuisine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, ladies, thank you. You got five out of five, right? Yeah, yeah. And check back for our next episode dropping in one week. Thanks, guys. Visit our site to learn about special offers, new products, and more for purchase. We offer live cooking seminars from pasta making and cast iron cooking to pie baking and stir frying techniques. Our special interest publications feature recipes centered around certain topics like feel good food and slow cooker dinners. 
We also offer custom Cuisine at Home branded kitchen tools, such as aprons, cutting boards, and bench knives. Shop all of our offerings at CuisineAtHome.com.